Welcome to the Artistic Finance Podcast, where we break down the wall between art and money. If you're here looking for how to be an artist and financially sustain a career, you're in the right place. Keep listening and join us as we learn about artists and how they make money work for them. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Ethan Steimel, here for episode 34. This is an amazing interview, especially if you are a freelancer, whether you're working in the arts or not. Wherever you are listening from, thank you for being here, and a special thank you to my Patreon patrons who get the shows early and have access to the extended interviews. If you want to support the show and make it possible for these conversations to continue, visit patreon.com slash artistic finance where you can support for as little as three dollars a month if you aren't ready to support as a patron please subscribe to the podcast on apple podcasts on spotify or on youtube when you do please take a moment to think about your best friend in the whole wide world that could be your life partner your friend from school a sibling or a parent Whoever it might be, tell them about this podcast. They might already subscribe, and when you reach out and tell them about it, they will have already listened to this episode and will know that you think of them as your best friend. That is so sweet. I'm tearing up just thinking about it. But remember, as much as we talk about money and finance here on the show... And as much as I want our community to take ownership of their finances, love is the most important thing we have. And we can share and spread the love for free. And nothing says, I love you, like telling someone, hey, listen to the Artistic Finance Podcast. And on that note, let me introduce today's guest, Andrew Sotomayor. He is an Emmy-winning makeup artist and founder of the luxury perfume brand Oracle Jane Station. He has been a spokesperson for L'Occitane and La Mer, made appearances for CoverGirl and Chanel, and worked with eight Academy Award-winning actors. He is the makeup department head for The Other Two on Comedy Central, and the makeup and tattoo designer for West Side Story on Broadway. Oracle Jane Station is his most recent project, It is his line of luxury organic perfumes and body products and was inspired by his summers as a kid in Arizona. Links to that and everything we talk about is in the show notes and on our website, artisticfinance.com. Without further ado, let's get to our interview. Welcome, Andrew Sotomayor, to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Ethan. I just want to say that this is December 7th, 2020, that we're recording this. So we're amidst the COVID-19 pandemic, and then we're also amidst the Black Lives Matter reawakening. Thank God, and also, oh my God, (laughs) a lot happening. Your bio, it says that you worked with Kamala Harris. I worked with Kamala Harris when she was running for president. So it was before the primaries, and she had had to get her picture taken for the New York Times, so... I love it. She's exactly the person that uh, I hoped that she was, even in those few brief and busy moments while well, well, she had to get back on the campaign trail. Yeah, amazing. Could you give us sort of an introduction, how you got into what you're doing and where you are now in your career? So makeup was kind of like never really part of the professional plan. I thought that I was going to be a chorus boy on Broadway 
Like I literally had the math figured out that I was like, by the time I'm 26, it will have been 10 years of dance training. That's the perfect time for them to do a revival of West Side Story. And by then I'll have done at least one or two national tours. So by 26, I will be on Broadway in West Side Story. At 26, I was doing a West Side Story themed photo shoot, like a fashion spread of some sort. So be careful what you ask the universe because you just might get it, but it might come slightly differently than you planned. Also, you do more television or do you more, do more theater? I do literally a bit, a bit of everything. My best friend once said when we were still um, in our 20s, he said that he had done everything there was to do in the makeup industry other than mortuary makeup. I've honestly done everything that there is to do. I started in retail at a department store, which was just meant to be a summer job. And then I ended up working in corporate. I went on to television and film and uh, finally ended up on Broadway. Could you describe your demographics for us? Well, I'm a dude, I'm 37, I'm Mexican-American, single. I have a degree in theater. I studied also at Shakespeare's Globe in London and I studied at Columbia, all for theater. What is a live event that you like to experience as an audience member? A live event I love to experience as an audience member is obviously live musical theater. I mean, some of the most breathtaking, most heartfelt moments of my life have been obviously breakups, but as well moments in the live theater. Like there's the moment in On the Town on Broadway. It's in the fantasy ballet and she runs across stage jumps and she flips and he catches her in a backbend. As that happens, mind you, the lighting is swelling and it just changes at the exact moment. The music swells, that she lands, that your heart jumps out of your chest. And it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen on stage. Equally as beautiful having seen on stage was that moment in Hades Town, the closing of act one. They've got the lights with that sort of like metal dome over them, swirling and rotating through the air. My God, one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen on stage. What is a piece of art that you love? My parents gave me a few kids books that were sort of like broken down, really slim biographies of different painters like Frida Kahlo, Diego Rivera, Pablo Picasso. And the reason I say Diego Rivera is because he did a lot of work focusing on, on, on everyday people and on laborers. There's only a handful of painters when you look throughout history that have been elevated to such a level of, of reverence that they've sort of stood the test of time. There's only been a handful of them that have painted everyday people and not just the wealthy and not just the rich. I did a few different think tanks for Americans for the Arts. A conversation that, that came up is how not everybody gets the chance to participate in the arts. There's sometimes a perception that the arts are elitist or it's a superficial practice. We often forget that you don't have to be a professional artist to engage with the arts, that you don't have to be a professional to, to do art. Go, go to Michael's Arts and Crafts and pick up a paint set and, and do it. It doesn't matter if you're good at it or not. It just matters that you're bringing color and creativity into your everyday life. What keeps you motivated to keep working? Let's say on the day you wake up and you just don't want to go to work. I'm the son and the grandson of immigrants, Mexican immigrants. It was built into me every single day of my childhood, just how hard my, my grandfather worked, you know, being, being an immigrant, being a construction worker. And on the other side, having a grandfather that was a carpenter and a, and a farmer. You know, you grow up with these ideas of, about work ethic. A thing about being Latino American 
There's so many Latinx people in America, and we all represent our heritage in different ways. What I needed to discover is that the way that I most represent my heritage is through my work ethic. I know what sacrifices people made to come to this country, but also what opportunities they were seeking for themselves and their families and their grandkids. And so when I look at the lineage of the construction workers and farmers that were the first of my family to be here, and then I look at my parents who were the first in their generation to go to college and to get an education and to become journalists, and then I look at the next generation of my sister and myself being artists, that is the American dream. From where they were to where my parents are to where I am, and to be able to make money at it and to have credibility and to have the chance to speak with people like you about finance, that's a very different story than the grandfather from Mexico who only got candy from his next door neighbors when he was picking weeds out of their garden. Like there's, there's a work ethic there that's very much a part of my culture. What music do you listen to? If I had to pick one, I feel like it would probably be India Ari, I Am Light. The poetry of that and just, she's basically saying in that song, I am light, I am not, the decisions that I've made, I'm not the mistakes, I'm not my parents, I am, I am light. I'm divinity defined. There's a lot of moments where we feel terrible about ourselves, whether you're an artist or not, but if you walk out of your apartment every day or your house and think, I am light, what does that mean? I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you because you are passionate about artists and their finances. Yeah, I, I'm very passionate about artists talking about finances. And that's why I'm so excited to be on this podcast, because artists have spent so much time with the idea that we should do art for free or that we should just do art because we love it. People say, take every single opportunity that comes to you. I think it's absolute nonsense. Ask any wealthy person, CEO, successful actor, celebrity, and they will all tell you that it's just as important what you say yes to as what you say no to. Like there are plenty of people out there in the world who are gonna take advantage of people who are willing to work for free. I don't think artists give themselves enough credit for just how much wealth we generate. When we start to take that back, not only do we have more pride in ourselves, but we also create a path forward for future artists. If we don't talk to each other about finances, if we don't give each other advice on how much to charge for a job, we're just constantly letting producers, people who do have lots and lots of money, dictate for us what our work is worth. And that's not how it should go. Are you bad or good with money? In some ways I'm great with money, in some ways I'm bad with money. Both of my parents instilled an idea that some things were worth spending more money on, some things are worth not splurging on. That's really, really the first and foremost thing. I will spend more money on a better product to put in my makeup kit, but if there's something that's $3 that works really, really well, I have no shame about putting that $3 face powder next to a $120 moisturizer. On a more personal level, I have been good with money over the years because I've invested it back into my career. When I've been very, very busy, but I saw opportunities that I could create if I had more help, I would hire an assistant on set or, or at fashion shows. And that's also true in my personal life. You know, the busiest I ever was in terms of getting press and doing interviews was a three-year period where I had an amazing assistant working for me 20 hours a week. 
I've also been less good with money because I've often used spending as a coping mechanism for stress. And there's probably more productive ways to do that. One thing that I've adjusted and I've learned during this COVID shutdown is how, while I do love a really good sandwich, I can make a pretty darn good sandwich at home. Also, just not going out to the grocery store as much as we, we used to nowadays. I appreciate a fresh loaf of bread so much more than I think I ever did pre-COVID. I think when work goes back a little bit more to what it used to be, I think I'm gonna be a lot more understanding of what my dad was like when it came to, to saving money on certain things. Yeah, amazing. Um, with your money, are you a saver or a spender? I am both a saver and a spender. I, I'm really thrilled that before COVID started, I paid off all of my credit cards. I put the maximum amount that I could into my, um, into my retirement plans. Fortunately, because I did that, I had money left over to invest in my first product line. It was very tricky getting to this point in my career, but things kind of work out for the best if you, if, you, if you work at it. I saw a post on Facebook that somebody put out about backpacks for the street, bfts.org. They literally fill backpacks with everything from soap to snacks for people who are, are homeless. I mean, it's shocking to think about how many people in America work two jobs and are still dependent on food banks. This was true before COVID. So even now to see how there are so many tens of millions of people out of work, hopefully at least now we have a little bit more compassion and awareness of that because there's just nothing worse. There's just nothing sadder than somebody having to go hungry. With that, I pulled out my credit card, knew I was going to be putting interest on it because now I'm carrying a balance again, put $25 towards backpacks to the street. So I, I feel like that's really important because it changes your relationship with money. When you give something away to somebody who needs it more than you do, it tells your brain, your heart, your spirit, this moment of financial difficulty right now is not the end all be all. It will not be like this forever. It reminds you that money is so flexible. There's always gonna be a cheaper way to do something. There's always gonna be a way you can scrimp and save if you absolutely have to. If you remind yourself you've got so much to be grateful for, and if you give something away to somebody else that really, really needs it, it just releases some of the grip on fear or strife that so many of us have around money. I love that. And you said the website, but as with everything we talk about, I'll put a link for it in the show notes. Backpacksforthestreet.org. Okay. Um, at the start of your career, so so I guess when you moved to New York, what did your finances look like then? I mean, when I first got to New York, I was five years old. So my parents moved here when I was when I was really little. And I grew up on Long Island. And when I got to Manhattan, which is when I first went out on my own, I had already been working for a number of years. I got my first job at 18. I was working at Starbucks and I was working at a department store. I would go and work at the department stores every summer and every holiday season. So by the time I was really on my own and I was living in Washington Heights, paying $525 a month for one bedroom in a small four bedroom apartment, I was working and I, I, had, I had a job and I had you know room on my credit cards if I needed to to buy something or if I needed to write myself a check to get a cash advance to pay for the rent that month. Money did get tight because I, I could only put in so many hours a week and I ended up moving to somewhere a little bit more expensive because, because I had to. You know, I did everything from going on dates with my boyfriend who worked for a very high-end caviar company to also buying, you know, $1 
frozen pizzas. Oh, I always rode the high and low. <laughs> Amazing. Have you had any big debts in your life? Student loans are definitely the biggest debt that's ever come up in my life. My parents were adamant that they pay for it. My mother being an immigrant and my dad being the son of immigrants. Education was so important. I think it's always felt to them like it was their responsibility. Supporting myself in New York City and investing money back into my career, I definitely took on credit card debt. And I mean, I played that game for a long, long time. It's, it's such a different thing to pay with a credit card than it is to pay with cash. You know, my best friend once said that his dad would say, if you can't pay cash for it, then you can't afford it. I think there's a lot of, a lot of good thought behind that. You know, they get you with those points and, and the rewards and you think, well, shouldn't I get a 1% discount on everything? It's important to remind yourself whether, whether that's just gonna make it easier to, to shop more frivolously and whether there's a, a smaller purchase that you can make. But also I would say that it's very, very easy to waste money at drugstores. Have you noticed this? Whether it's Target or Dwayne Reed or, or whatever's local to you, it is very easy to go in there and think, yeah, you know what? I need, to, I need a different keychain. It's so easy to waste money in America. It's, so, it's just such a simple like thrill or, or yeah, like, oh yeah, I need to get one of these. No, the, the house doesn't need new French doors for the kitchen. The apartment doesn't need one more jar of almond butter. Like these are very like bougie sort of sort of examples, but there is a version of that for every single level. Like I don't like I don't need to go buy more more pre-made cookie dough. Like I can spend 20 minutes and make probably a better cookie at home. Amazing. <laughs> when you have excess money, what do you do with it? When I have excess money, historically I've put it back into my career, buying new products for my kit, spending money on hours to pay an assistant. That's been some of the best use of money that I've had that's excess. The most typical use of me spending money is is going out to dinner. Got it, got it. Do you worry or think about money on a daily basis? Yes. I mean, I'm not a crazy person. <laughs> whether it's worry or whether it's just being aware of it, yes. I think about money all the time and I think every artist should be. When you see artists who are actually making money and not just looking very famous or not just very prominent, the ones who are actually making money have worked very hard. They've put a lot of time and dedication in. They're very good at their craft usually. They're also very conscious of where their money comes from, how they spend it, and how much effort it took to make it happen. You don't become a financially successful artist in America unless you have a commitment to getting paid what your work is worth. There's a direct correlation. I can't even tell you how many friends I know who are the same age as me who will still do projects for free because somebody tells you, you do this project with this person and it's a great connection. Great connections for artists is nonsense. Great relationships are what matter. In my experience, I have found that the people who respected me the most and who gave me the best opportunities in my career are the ones who, from the beginning, knew that I was bringing something of value to the table. The best client that I ever had who used to fly me across the country at least once or twice a month for work paid me one of the best and most consistent day rates that I had. So about six or seven years ago, a costume designer told me she had a friend of a friend who was designing an off-Broadway play and asked if I would want to do it. And I just came off of a show with Julie Taymor. So I said, yeah, let's, let's do more theater. Like this is, I want people to know this was not just a fluke. I went and had an interview with her friend who was another costume designer. She was great. She was so, so appreciative. And, you know, she revealed that the money wasn't great. And 
I said, here's what I can do for this. I can't be here for days and weeks on end, but what if we did this and this? I can come in for this amount of time. I can refer you to a friend who can do this part and we can get this project done. I see how hard you're working. I want to work just as hard for you. She said, you know, let me see if I can sell them on that idea because I love that. I, we should do this together. And she came back and said, the producers wouldn't go for it. I don't want you to take less than, than what you're worth and, and let's stay in touch. And so we did stay in touch for six years. And I would send her a Christmas card. I would message her every once in a while on Facebook. We would, you know, like each other's posts and took a genuine interest in each other's work. So then I'm walking down the street. I was having a kind of strange day and thinking, you know, I've never designed a Broadway show. And I can't believe it's, I'm, I'm 36 and I've never designed a Broadway show. And like a week after I thought that to myself, I get a text message from that same costume designer saying, hey, would you be interested in designing the makeup and tattoos for West Side Story on Broadway? Jaw hit the floor and I said, my God, yes. <laughs> because it's a Broadway show, because it's a big financial success, it ended up being a, you know, a big financial job for me and I got paid appropriately for it. I wouldn't have gotten that job if I hadn't handled turning down the job with no money gracefully, but I also don't know that I would have gotten it if I had accepted the job. What that costume designer knew is that I respected myself and I respected her and I respected our work and our contribution to the project. And I'm sorry, when you've got a 40 foot or 70 foot HD screen and you're gonna show tattoos, the costume designers for West Side Story and the directors and the producers, <laughs> they want it to look right. So I've never thought for a moment that me and my team did anything less than the work that was required and we deserve to be paid for it. Yeah, I love it throughout your life have you stuck to a budget or have you have you used a budget at the the toughest parts of my financial life my budget was basically spend as little as possible i think as an artist one of the reasons that i haven't written out a budget most of the time there were so many times that i wasn't thriving it was just trying to cut corners or i was using my little daily spending habits as a way to reward myself for the work that I was putting in for my ambitious career. But what I have always been aware of is how much money I was spending. You know, made little spreadsheets or, or notes on my phone about what something costs or what my daily expenses were, what my, what my monthly expenses were. But honestly, it's one of the most empowering things you can do to actually write out every little thing that you're spending money on. $5 a day at Starbucks adds up. It adds up really fast. When you start to consider things like the health insurance for my dogs, my rent, my storage locker, the grocery bill. Did I say insurance already? That stuff adds up. I frankly hate like Adobe because they are so difficult to unsubscribe. So you forbid you forget to unsubscribe. You will have to dig so deep to, to, to get rid of that. People love, love, love their subscriptions because they make so much money off of people just not checking their credit card statements. What is a fantastic financial decision that you have made? As a freelance artist, the most important financial decision you can make is what to charge for a project. When I got my very, very first job working at a department store, I was making $8.25 an hour. When I, years later, went back to work for a cosmetics line and I was doing press events, I got paid $3,000 for the day. Like these are, mind you, these are companies that make billions of dollars a year. For artists to not charge money, for spokespeople to not charge money is bananas. You know, we, we have to recognize as artists how much wealth we generate. I love that conversation for The Hollywood Reporter, I think it was, where Ellen Pompeo 
talks about why she held her ground and asked for so much money for Grey's Anatomy. And it's like, that show has made billions of dollars in advertising. She literally plays the title character. Whether it's, it's you as the star of a TV show, or it's somebody showing up to, to, on a film set. Like, uh, unless, you're, unless you're doing a documentary on Hummingbirds narrated by David Attenborough, most of the stuff people watch is people's faces on TV. It's stories. And if you're the costume designer or a makeup artist or you're lighting people, we are literally looking at people on screen. And if it's a film, their face might be 20 feet high. We have to recognize that some of those beautiful moments of art, <laughs> the most iconic moments in, in film, you know, somebody put a lot of thought and care and skill into making them what they are. Thinking of Ryan Murphy television for a second, Erin Kruger-McCash has been the makeup artist for that show from the beginning, and she now also gets a producer credit. And that's a whole other level of success that the makeup artists aren't familiar with, usually. What's so special about that is that that is Ryan Murphy, one of the most successful, important producers in the history of television, recognizing costume designers, hairstylists, makeup artists, lighting designers, what we do together will tell you about a character on screen before the actor even has the chance to open their mouth. That's so important. Artists do that collaboratively, and it what not only just creates an emotional moment and makes something beautiful, it's what makes a story compelling that people actually want to pay money to go to the theater, to go to the movies, to watch. I want to re-emphasize your point of upping your rate or making sure you're getting paid more or getting paid what you're worth. There's so much financial advice out there on how to cut your bills, how to cut back, how to do this. The reality is you have to make more money if you want to have more money. There's no way around it. No, and there's a bottom to it. And the race towards the bottom is something that artists are often left with. You know, I remember a few years ago when the conversation about raising the minimum wage to, to $15 an hour federally began. And I remember this one post that started circulating about paramedics who were making somewhere around like $17 an hour, this one person was saying. Did I just waste all of my money going to school and, and doing this work so that I could save lives when I could have just worked at a restaurant and made the same amount of money? I feel terrible that a paramedic who's a first responder should feel that way, but I also feel worse a paramedic isn't getting paid double or triple that. It's a travesty that in America the teachers have to go mow lawns or work at the ice cream store to make their ends meet. And yes, like you are right, at the end of the day, we have to make more money. The idea that somebody should make less because they're not worth it, we deserve to get paid a living wage. There is nobody in America who should be working two jobs more than 40 hours and not being able to pay their rent. The fact that there are people making the same amount of money for minimum wages I made almost 20 years ago when I was working at, at a coffee shop, that is insane. That is not acceptable. I think a lot of creatives spend a lot of time thinking they should take jobs that don't pay well because it's going to get them to the next point in their career. And there's always going to be these opportunities where somebody you did a project with and then they kept in touch and then they, they gave you an opportunity later on. Those opportunities are not every single opportunity. And getting experience is very, very important. But I have friends in this business who've been doing this 15, 20 years longer than I have. The landscape for artists in America was very different. Minimum wage meant more then than it does now. To assume that just because you work with somebody for free 
that they are going to automatically try to bring you on for their well-paid projects later on, and that you just assume that, it's sort of naive. There are always going to be amazing stories about somebody who did a project, they didn't have any money. Sure enough, years later, they end up becoming a very successful artist getting Academy Award nominated projects years later. That happens, but also there are so many more people doing every single job that there is now. The competition has also never been greater. Because there are so many people competing for the same jobs, are we going to allow ourselves just to do the jobs for free? The people who respected me from the beginning and paid me what I was worth took me along for the future rides. People who brought me along for that free project when they just needed somebody and they didn't have money always thought of me as the person who was willing to work for free. I am not loyal to Grace Papaya Hot Dogs because that's what I ate when they were $1.25 as a work-study student at, at the dance school. I'm not loyal to them. I don't still go and shop there. I go and eat better quality food that I can afford. And, and I honestly think there are a lot of people who think about it that way. Ooh, I've got a budget. Let me get that better lighting designer. Let me get that better equipment. Let me get that better camera. If you don't decide for yourself that you do work that is worth spending money on, if you don't recognize that in yourself, then nobody else is going to see that in you. You're going to either be the person who respects their worth, regardless of what the rate is, either the person who respects their work and their worth, or you're going to be the person who says, I guess I'm not worth a fair wage yet, so let me just do this for free. But nobody's going to see you any way other than as you see yourself. Do you have an entity corporation LLC, or is it just you getting paychecks for everything? I have an LLC. At the end of the day and at the end of the year, my taxes end up being very complicated. Yes, I get paid sometimes as an employee, like when I'm on a film set, but then I also get paid through my LLC for other projects. So like West Side Story Broadway, was that 1099 or was that W-2? So what was really unusual at West Side Story is that I got paid as the designer, but then I also had to go and work a lot of times day to day as a makeup artist, as a regular employee. Everybody knows there's, there's a big giant screen, and so we had to pre-tape certain moments. So I, I got paid in a couple different, different ways. So your new perfume line, do you get paychecks to you for that? Or is that through your LLC? My perfume line, Oracle Jane Station, is part of my LLC. Technically a separate business, but I'm the sole proprietor of it. So it's also still one pot at the end. The government makes it sound super, super complicated. They make it sound super, super scary. But my tax person has really done a lot of digging and, and is amazing. And some of the best money that I've spent in my entire life was on, on my tax person. But, but at the end of the day, it's all sort of one person. Yeah, yeah. You have a tax person. Do you pay quarterly taxes? Yes, as a freelancer, as somebody who writes invoices and they don't take the taxes out, I'm required by law to pay my taxes quarterly. So I try to stay on top of that as best as I can. I track the money that is coming in. I track the money that's going out. I try to estimate. It does get really tricky because there's so many deductions. And I think a lot of people miss a lot of deductions that they're eligible for. Definitely, definitely, definitely like get a good tax person. I do not recommend the online tax services like TurboTax many years ago, maybe like 12 years ago, I used TurboTax for my taxes. The following year, I had decided to go to a tax person. She taught me so much. I realized there were probably things that I missed when I did my own taxes with TurboTax. She went back and revised my taxes. I paid $2,400 more in taxes that I didn't owe because I didn't understand all the deductions that were eligible for me. 
and I just didn't understand some of the tax laws. There are people who are professionals that follow the laws that are just frankly smarter at that sort of thing than, than I am. It's money well spent. I think that's great. I think that's great also because people say, oh, you can deduct this, you can deduct that, but it's more hearsay. And when you actually go to sit down and do your taxes, you're like, oh no, you can actually deduct that. Yeah, and actors get disproportionately audited than a lot of other, other people. And, and sometimes it comes down to like, if you buy black clothing, as a crew person to work backstage or to go do a cater waiter job, you know, between shows, that's not a tax deduction because you are buying it for work, but you can wear it out on the street. I wish I knew how drag queens do it because can you wear a drag outfit out on the street? Can you wear like a neon purple wig? And is that, a, is that a business expense? I don't know. It shouldn't be a question in your mind, like get a tax person to do it for you because the only person that benefits from you not understanding it is the government. Exactly. And the thing about the government, it's not a big evil, it literally does not care. The government is the people. Like, it's a system that doesn't care about you. Well, the government cares about money. That's the one thing they do. Because, the you know, you can mess up on your taxes and the government will not let you know. Maybe because they don't know that you were entitled to a certain tax deduction or that you checked the wrong box. If you check the wrong box and they determine that you owe more money, they will absolutely catch up with you and, and come at you for that money. It's very easy to, to perpetuate this idea that artists are free thinkers and we're aloof and that sort of thing. But no, like everybody who's working hard should eventually get to retire, should eventually be able to own a home if that's in your in your wish list. The only people that are going to look out for you for that are, are you. And you do bring up a good point, which is that I, I talked to a friend of a friend who was a tax auditor and she kind of put it out with a similar attitude as you did. She said... When I'm doing an audit, I'm not out there trying to get somebody. I'm hoping that when you show up for your audit, that you've got your calendar that says that you had an appointment that day and that's why you took a taxi. I'm hoping that you wrote on your, on your receipt that you had a business lunch with somebody and that's why, you, why you're deducting this meal. Or I'm hoping that when you bought $100 worth of postage to write thank you notes to people, that, that, that you, you wrote that and that, and that, that, was, was, that this was part of advertising. She's like, I'm hoping that you do that so that I can give you credit because you spent money on your business. You didn't do it frivolously. And if you show that to me, then I can give you credit and you can get taxes back because you're doing the right thing by reinvesting in your career. And you should be able to save money on that. And that actually brings up a good point, which is that you need to pay attention to like what your expenses are if you do, like if you are gonna itemize your deductions. You know what I tell people? I tell people to save every single receipt for every single thing you spend money on because you might not realize it just in that moment of day to day, but you might look back at, at the end of the quarter or at the end of the year when you're doing your taxes and expenses, you might realize, you know what? I, I bought a pack of pencils. I bought something that I needed for, for work that I didn't realize. You know, I can't tell you how many times that I've gone to the, the drugstore to pick up a prescription or something like that. But then I bought, you know, a new notebook because I needed to bring it in to work. That's a business expense. I literally cannot do my business if I'm not writing down what a director tells me face to face. Everybody's got little moments like that. So at the end of the day, sure, I'm throwing away a dozen receipts from the pet store. But you might realize also that if you're somebody who fosters a dog, you may not have realized in the January that when you fostered a dog or a cat, that fostering an animal, their expenses are tax deductions. Granted, when you adopt them officially, it's no longer a tax deductible expense, but there's, there's always tax laws that are changing. So save every single receipt 
and hopefully a tax professional will be there at the end of the year who will help you um, sift through and find little things that you didn't realize had changed in our areas to save money. Okay, something I missed that I want to go back to because this is very important. If anybody knows a drag queen that I should talk to on the podcast, please let me know. Okay, well, first of all, phrasing. Second of all, Diana De La Guarda is my drag persona. I actually gave up my drag career because I was not good at pulling tips. The girls who were good at making tips, they had no shame about money. Honey Davenport had a metal bucket and she would say in the middle of her show, this is Philip, short for Philip de Bucket. Put your tips in, put the cash in, put the coins in, help me pay for these corsets. I didn't recognize that it was just as important for me to ask for money as it was to get dressed and do a good job with my makeup. Had I understood how important it was to be shameless about asking for money, I probably could have continued my drag career for a little while longer. Speaking of shameless, I have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash artistic finance, and everybody should go there because you can become a patron starting at $3 a month. That's awesome. And you know what? You should plug this and you should plug it much more often. I, th I think it was Patreon you said, wasn't it? Well, I think we should all just go to patreon.com slash artistic finance. If there were a moment where you were not able to spend your time doing this podcast, then this information wouldn't be getting out to people. Like we have to stop apologizing as artists for needing to make money. The whole idea of the starving artist is bullshit. And the only people that make money off of it are the people with the billion dollar homes that are producers. We are the ones who generate their wealth. We have to recognize that. We also can't carve a path for the next generation of artists if we don't charge what we deserve. So now onto your retirement plan. I think just the easiest thing, what is your retirement plan? What are the parts of it? Well, I'm in IATSE 798, which is the hair and makeup union for theater, film, and television on the East Coast. And so we have retirement plans built into our contracts. And so I, um, every day that I work, producers pay into my retirement fund. So there's a pension and an annuity that eventually I will be um, able to take advantage of that will work towards my retirement. I also have um, an IRA. I do both a Roth IRA and, and a SEP IRA. I do both for specific reasons. There's a possibility I envision that, that being a freelance makeup artist, my finances will, will change. Like typically we think of retirement, you think you make more and more and more and more and more and more and more, more, more money throughout your entire career. But when you're working in film and TV and you may work 60 hours a week in the busiest times of your career, you remind yourself that you may not want to work 60 hours a week when you are in your 60s. So what I've sort of done is I've maxed out my, my IRAs every year that I could. I've done both the Roth IRA and the SEP IRA. The reason is that it's possible that I will make more money in the young, energetic part of my life. And if I'm 75 and I decide it's still going to work back then, that might be a better time to to take money out of the SEP IRA. So I, I'm putting money in both places for that reason to, to maximize the tax benefits. And I encourage everybody to learn about both. And if you can contribute to both, please do. Yeah. And the Roth IRA, so that's where you're paying the taxes on it right now. But in retirement, you don't have to pay taxes when you use the money. The SEP IRA is traditional in the sense of you don't pay tax on that money now. Um, but when you're pulling it out in retirement, you then have to pay the taxes on it. Exactly. Being busy and at this this sort of higher point in my career, now's a point where I'm, I'm paying more taxes 
So um, it makes sense to kind of offset some of it for later when I might be making a little bit less. Okay. So outside of your retirement funds, do you invest in anything? I've been vegan for eight years and vegan is the biggest trend in food of the past couple of years. Personally and, and just financially, I knew that when Beyond Meat was becoming, uh, was going public, that I wanted to buy stock and support their mission and hopefully make some money. And so I did, and I put $1,000 into the stock market. It was the first time I'd ever done that. I sat on it for a while and I watched the money increase and increase and increase. And I was like, great, hooray. Within about six months, it jumped from $1,000 to $2,600. And then what happened is that I started doing a Broadway show and two TV shows all at the same time. And then I got super, super distracted from it. And I didn't notice that sometimes stocks, they peak and then they dip. I checked in and I realized that stock was not tanking, but it was kind of going back to a normal trajectory. I sold most of it except for the interest because I was worried that it was going to dip below what I had initially. It dropped basically, it went from like $1,000 investment to $2,600 and then back down to like $1,200. And so I said, oh no, no, no. I took back out my original investment. So at least I wouldn't have lost anything. And I let the interest sit there and the interest has since gone up. Yeah, but it's one of the dancers in West Side Story was laughing at me as he said, buy low, sell high. That's what Warren Buffett says too. Wow. (laughs) Well, here's the thing too. Like at the end of the day, like most of us in America, we are not trained in as much about finance as we need to know. There's so much time spent in our educations on standardized testing that we don't learn nearly as much as we should about budgeting, about retirement, about finances, and about how to start a small business. Like, my God, the amount of work and hours that I've spent researching tax laws, insurance, and different things related to starting your own business is insane. Like, even just what what I needed to learn to build my website to make sure that it charged sales tax properly was insane. And I paid an agency to help me to build this site. So we have to kind of give ourselves a little bit of slack Um, but also know that there's a lot that we don't know and that every little bit of effort you put into learning about finances is going to be worth it. As far as the Roth and SEP IRAs, like I can't even tell you, I probably had to read them about a dozen times before I finally started putting money into them, before I understood them to make the right choices. Give yourself credit if you're an artist because we're trained in a lot of things, but not necessarily finances. More questions because you said that you don't invest in the stock market or you, you did it the one time. But I would also like to say that your your Roth IRA and your SEP IRA and your pension, all those funds presumably are in the stock market. You're just not actively doing anything for it. I have like a, a couple hundred dollars in the stock market. That's my personal. But of course, my pension and my annuity and that is all that is all in the stock market as well. Your Roth IRA and your SEP IRA, those you had to set up yourselves versus the pension that the union did for you. Where did you set them up and and or who is the one that decides what funds to purchase with that? I had to set up the Roth and the SEP IRAs myself. You set them up through a bank. Honestly, somebody else is is deciding what stocks to put that in. Like it's it's literally like a Jesus take the wheel. Okay, so I assume that you just whenever you logged in and set them up, you said my risk profile is this, and then they just automatically put the money somewhere when it comes in. Yeah, I mean these. The, what's cool is that if you don't know a lot about this sort of thing, there's a lot of websites like um, E Trade that can 
sort of make decisions for you. So even if you just start really slow, like even if you've got $25 to invest in the stock market, do that or to put into a, to an IRA, do that because you'll start getting notices. You'll gain knowledge a little bit at a time so that you can make more informed decisions and get more involved in your financial future. Which job of yours has been the most financially lucrative? What's been most financially lucrative for me in my career has been the diversity of jobs that I've taken. A lot of my friends who are makeup artists will work strictly in fashion. A lot of them will just do advertising. A lot of them will just do celebrity makeup. A lot of them will just do TV and film. And that's true for a lot of artists. In my case, I'm sort of an anomaly in that I, I literally do a little bit of everything. In some cases, that, that ends up being unfocused or you really never get, get anywhere. Like, I, I don't do hair for that reason. I, I always knew that I was a damn good makeup artist and I didn't want to do top shelf makeup and poor quality hair. The diversity of working in film and theater and television, very high-end weddings, and being a spokesperson for cosmetics lines, and now starting my own brand, that's, that's been the most financially lucrative part of my career because you've got to have, have a way to make money at different times. Like that, that skincare contract that I had wasn't going to last forever. And Broadway shows, they, they start and then they end. You know, and a TV show, you can make a lot of money when you're doing a TV show 40 hours a week or a film 60 hours a week. But, but me being able to, to know that I had my hands in lots of different pots, that not only made me more financially secure, it also made me a better artist. For example, like if there's a fashion show in one of the TV shows that I'm working on, if I didn't have that knowledge of, of having done 22 seasons of Fashion Week, I wouldn't be able to have a conversation from an informed place with a director. If I hadn't done theater jobs in the beginning of my career, I wouldn't have been able to end up doing West Side Story on Broadway, but then I also wouldn't have been able to walk into Saturday Night Live and chase after my actors and do quick changes the way that that team does them. You, you can't just, as an artist, plan to make money from only doing one thing. Yeah, Ooh, that's good. Money, money aside, what job have you done that you're the most proud of? I think the job that I'm most proud of having ever done was Saturday Night Live. I was there for eight seasons. What's so special about that is I've, I've really had the chance to see myself grow as a person, and as an individual. And I just respect my colleagues so much. The cast, the crew, the writers, they work so hard and they, they have a very specific culture that's really unique to Saturday Night Live. And I've seen a lot of people come and go, and I've seen a lot of people who've been there for years. I mean, my, my boss there, the department head, Louis Zakarian's been there for like 26 or 27 seasons. And so there's, there's an idea when you walk in the building that this show is bigger than all of us. That person who has been there longer than me or has more Emmys than I do, I'm gonna respect her very, very much. I also respect myself because I know that maybe next week I'm gonna call her and ask her to come and work on my team and day play. This meandering of it and this back and forth, like it's a symbiotic relationship. And we have to recognize that like as artists, you might be making a whole lot of money one day and be at the top. And then the next day, it's just an ebb and flow and you might need to be calling your friend and say, hey, do you need any help? I'm around if you need me. That team spirit that gets built into it is only good for your financial career. Like if you are an artist and you're thinking, I'm not gonna share 
with my friends what I'm making on a particular job when they have a particular job, then the only person that benefits from that secrecy is the employers. The, the best, most successful makeup designers on Broadway gave me so much advice when I got my first Broadway show. If they hadn't, I might have charged a lot less for the job, and I might not have been able to, to, to advocate for having the full team that, that I knew that we needed. We have to share this information. Like if you're somebody who's worried that, you know, you're gonna charge $1,000 for a job or $10,000 or $30,000 for a job, but you're not gonna tell the next person behind you what they should charge for their job, then all you're doing is letting that person who's been brought up in America to think that artists should work for free, that person is gonna charge less than what they deserve. And then guess what? That person is gonna end up working again for less money and for free. And the longer that perpetuates, the less opportunity there is for people to make the American dream come true. Sharing with your collaborators what you're making, whatever the holdup there is, like if you're ashamed that it's not enough, sharing is so much more important because if you are ashamed of how little it is, that needs to be sort of a group conversation of, we can't be this way. Yeah, I mean, that's why unions are so important because it's that collective bargaining. Like it's that that moment where you say as a team, I'm doing a skill, I am generating wealth for a business, for somebody at the top. I need to be paid appropriately for it. How much of your success has been hard work versus luck? It's a combination of both. You know, luck gets you in the door, but hard work is what sustains that. What financial advice would you give yourself back when you started your career or would you give a makeup artist that is starting out right now? The financial advice I would give myself would be to not use money to find ways to reward myself or self-soothe or defeat stress. I've, I've spent money on small things like going out to eat more often than I needed to and, and on big things. Yes, you should take a vacation if you can afford it. Yes, you should go out, spend time with your friends and, and all of that. But there are absolutely moments in my life where I was stressed or worried or just or depressed i could have dealt with those in different ways like i could have meditated i could have spent more time journaling called a friend on facetime instead of texting them <laughs> and all of those things would have really gotten at the root of the problem which is that i needed to work on emotional things in my life there was no amount of guac on a burrito there was no amount of cocktails there was no amount of new clothing that was ever going to solve what needed to be solved. By and large, we get to live these glamorous lives. This woman I interviewed from Virginia is a makeup artist who mostly does weddings. She still has to buy expensive products from Sephora and that that's glamorous. Whether it's that or seeing, you know, the celebrity clients roll up, you know, with a Birkin bag, we have very skewed ideas on what a luxurious experience is. Just seeing the sunrise in a different way every morning, that is a breathtaking experience. These are the life-giving moments that, that as artists we need to revive ourselves with. It's not always gonna be a round of drinks. It's not always going to be a more expensive pair of shoes. That's amazing. And also you mentioned a Birkin bag. So I'm gonna provide a link to a Birkin bag in the show notes because I only know what that is because I watched Gilmore Girls, but I'll just say it's a very expensive bag. <laughs> there, there are people who buy them as collector's items. I worked at Bergdorf Goodman, I worked at Saks Fifth Avenue and Neiman Marcus. I know luxury. My mother taught me about value. There are always gonna be things worth spending more money on and not worth spending more money on. It's, it's worth spending more money on organic food versus 
conventional. It's worth spending more money on paying a living wage to an assistant or to an artist. There's there's a reason that my, my products for Oracle Jane Station are more expensive. Like, I'm buying organic, unrefined, fair trade shea butter from Ghana that supports a women's collective. I'm paying four times as much for essential oils handpicked in Arizona by a woman who's going to distill them herself and charge more money for it. But guess what? I can call her up on the phone and say, how's this batch going? Is now a good time to pick Chaparral or, or is it still too dry out? You don't want to damage the environment. Like that's money worth spending on. There's value to spending money well. I had a conversation with my best friend many years ago who went and bought a $50 eyeshadow palette from Dior. And I said, Jess, I, I work at Lancome. I have thousands of dollars worth of makeup that I haven't even touched yet. Like, what do you want? I'll send it to you. She's like, babe, I worked so hard this year. This was my frivolous gift of me spending money on something that was beautiful and that felt like buying jewelry and that I just wanted to treat myself. And so, yeah, everybody should get to have a little bit of luxury at some point. Also, just make sure those luxury purchases are not taking you farther away from that plane ticket to go see your friends and family, from that pack of 100 greeting cards that you're going to write out and sign to not only make your friends and family feel special, but to make yourself more aware of the people in your life that have helped you get where you are, either financially or just in your heart. I love that. And also, side note on having a luxurious experience, where do people go to get Oracle Jane Station? To get everyday luxuries, like perfumes, soap, made of organic and fair trade ingredients, you can go to oraclejanestation.com. Amazing. I love it. Okay, we'll mention it again later. But what can you and I do to stress the importance of finance and business and savings to our fellow artists? What you and I can do as established artists is we can continue to have these conversations with up-and-coming artists. I ran into a makeup artist. I walked into Dwayne Reed with my team. It was the Dwayne Reed that was two blocks from West Side Story. This makeup artist working at the drugstore recognized me from my Instagram. And this never happens to me. We ended up having like a 20-minute conversation. It turned out she ended up coming to work for me. I hired her for a magazine job because I looked at her portfolio. She did great work. She was still a young artist, but she was ambitious and talented and skilled in practicing. And I've made it a point to tell her and my assistants and my colleagues about money. And I said to her, charge what you're worth. Demand to be paid. Recognize the difference between a project that you're doing as a hobby for fun with your friends who are also getting their career started and the difference between somebody who's established and making millions of dollars and just doesn't want to pay. There's a huge, vast difference, and that's something that I think we all need to perpetuate. There's a lot of conversations going on right now about the Flea Theater in New York. I don't know the ins and outs, but there's a difference between an established, successful entity that just doesn't want to pay artists and your friends who are going to grow with you and are getting started. Like, if you're at the beginning of your career and you're out of school and you're not really feeling confident about your skills yet, team up with your friends because they're at the same point and you're going to grow up together and build these lifelong relationships professionally. But there's know the difference. Yeah, I love it. Final two questions with a couple more peppered in. But what separates those that have a career in the arts from those that start and transition out or who never 
even try to have a career in the arts? Money. Money. We have skills. We are professionals. We deserve to be paid. If, if you kind of venture into the arts and then you leave, in a lot of cases, that's because you couldn't make it financially. And I don't mean that with any kind of, any kind of judgment or negativity there. There are artists who recognize that, that by making money, you're making it more possible for you to create your art. If you don't charge what you're worth, if you don't take that side job that you need just to pay the rent, but then to do the best job that you can, you're not going to be able to pick and choose. And you're going to start to resent it. You know, even if it's a makeup artist doing weddings, if you're only going to work for somebody who doesn't think that, that, that it's worth doing, you're not going to have the self-respect that, that other people need to see in you to want to work with you. And you're not going to have the energy and you're not going to have the finances to then take an extra painting class or to sign up for masterclass.com and learn skills from the best and the brightest in the industry. You have to make money and you have to recognize that your art should sustain you. It may not in a lot of cases, but that's part of a larger mission that all of us are going to work together going forward as artists to, to perpetuate. The arts should not be free. And it takes a lot of self-respect to, to, to demand that. And it's an uphill battle and it's a climb. But if we all do that together, that's when we can make arts in America the American dream job that they're supposed to be. Okay, last question. Where can people find out more about you? An easy way to stay in touch is on Instagram at Andrew Sotomayor and at Oracle Jane Station, O-R-A-C-L-E-J-A-Y-N-E Station on Instagram and oraclejanestation.com. Um, that's my, my perfume and body care line. And um, I've just started my blog on there where I can kind of share these ideas about how we deserve better products and how just because something's in the green section at Sephora doesn't mean that it necessarily is green. Like there might be a lot of inorganic ingredients in there that I don't think should be in a product described that way. So um, yeah, stay in touch. Amazing. Fantastic. So Andrew Sotomayor, thank you so much for sitting down with us and chatting. Thank you for having me and, and thank you for starting this conversation. I think it's so important for artists to talk about money because as established artists or especially as anybody on their way up, if we don't think about money and ask questions and learn about it, we're not creating space for the next artist to pursue their dreams either. That was our interview with Andrew Sotomayor. My takeaways from our conversation were, know your value and request compensation for that value. Taking a low-paying job for connections is not a valid reason. It could work out, but more than likely it will open the door for another low-paying job. Talk about finances with your peers. In our day and age, we all need multiple sources of income, and sorting through how to make a living and being successful at it takes communicating. Share what you know, and others will share their knowledge with you. Which sounds like spreading the love, which I hope you have done by telling your best friend in the whole wide world about this podcast. If you do it on social media, make sure to tag Artistic Finance, unless it's on Twitter, and then tag me directly at Ethan Steimel. Please find the additional content from Andrew's interview over at patreon.com slash artisticfinance. For $3 a month, you can help me continue to interview amazing artists like Andrew so that we can learn not how to create art, I know you know how to do that, 
but how we can be artists and thrive financially. That's it for today. Until next time, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Find more information on our website, artisticfinance.com. Please subscribe to our podcast and please leave a rating and review. Artistic Finance is produced in New York City by Nicole and Ethan Steinle. Producing consultant Anne Nygren-Doherty. Graphics and website by Josh Cutler. Music by Chong Liu.